Hello and welcome to The Shannon Show, where I talk a lot about my personal experiences as a neurodivergent human. This is honestly so far outside of my comfort zone as someone who has spent the better part of her life shrinking to make those around her feel seen. But over the years, I've found massive value in hearing other people's stories, and I've learned that sharing my thoughts and perspectives also has the potential to make a positive impact on those around me. Just a warning that no topic is off the table here, and some of the things I'll be talking about can feel threatening even when you're not in any physical danger. So each of my episodes comes with an automatic trigger warning and an invitation that if at any point you start to notice yourself feeling big feelings, please take a moment to do what feels best for you in that moment, whether it's pausing to regulate or skipping the episode altogether. This podcast is meant to spark critical thinking and encourage you to live your most authentic life. So here goes with The Shannon Show. Whether you're here to watch the train wreck from the sidelines or climb aboard, I appreciate you being here all the same. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to The Shannon Show. I know I say this every time that I have a guest, but this one is extra special to me because I got to interview my 11-year-old daughter for this episode. I asked my social media networks what questions they had for her, and we took the time to answer all of them, and it took a while, so I decided to make this a two-part series. This is part one of that series where I ask her questions like, what do you want to do with your life? And what are your favorite aspects of the way that I parent you? And what could I do better? And tons more. And her answers did not disappoint. If you've not already, please consider subscribing so you don't miss part two where we wrap up the rest of her questions with the grand finale we've all been waiting for, Roblox or Minecraft. And she flips the script on me and asks me some questions, which I was not expecting at all. I can't wait for you to hear how brilliant this kid is. So let's jump in. Today is particularly special for me because I have one of my favorite humans in the whole entire world with me today on the podcast. Today, I am joined by the super cool, funny, unique, brilliant silly, hilarious. I'm a little bit biased. It's my daughter, Greenlee Noel Kill. She has requested that we just kind of riff today. We don't have a whole lot of structure. What I do as part of my process is when I'm interviewing somebody on the podcast, I'll put together an outline and I'll let them know the questions that I'm going to be asking ahead of time. They can submit topics and questions that they want to make sure that I cover. And Greenlee requested that we not do this, that we actually just kind of go with the flow. So this is going to be a little bit of a different structure than what you're used to seeing from me. And personally, I'm really pumped about it. Yay! (laughs) So 
another thing that we did is I asked on all of my social media platforms if you guys had any questions for Greenlight. And your questions did not disappoint. I'm actually really excited about them. But she also asked that I not tell her what any of the questions are ahead of time. She wanted it to be authentic and she didn't want it to feel rehearsed. What she told me was, I don't want my answers to sound fake. All right. All of that said, Greenlee, hi. Thank you for being here. Thank you for humoring me. Tell me in your own words who you are and what lights you up. I am Greenlink, and lights me up usually is game day. That's what what kind of game do you mean? Football. Okay, so tell people a little bit about football and what you do. Okay, so I play flag football. The first game day is usually the best because like the other game days, it's like you're used to it. But like the first game day, it's like you're pumped. You're like, you're ready. Let's start the season off. It's really energizing. I love that you use the word energizing because there really is so much energy that goes into it because you don't go straight into a game. You do practices beforehand and you get to know your teammates and everybody is collectively jazzed to get out on the field. It's almost like a performance. Exactly. It's like if you're an actor, it's like you practice and you have rehearsals and stuff, but that's not what pumps you up. What pumps you up is like your game day music. But seriously, it's like it's energizing and it's, it's really fun. The other thing that I said that you probably can't tell because Greenlee is a magician is that she's never done anything like this before. So this is her first time ever recording a podcast or doing any sort of, well, I guess you've done public speaking to be fair because you've done presentations at school and stuff and rocked them. I was super nervous and I literally had a script. So it was easy, but it was super nerve wracking. I think it's more nerve wracking getting up in front of people that you know, or people that you don't know. Because for me, I could get up and do a presentation in front of people that I don't know, no problem. But when it's people that I do know, that's way harder. Yeah, for me. it's it's harder to do it with people that I know, because it's like, they know you, they know what you do, they know how you do it. But like people you don't know, you're probably never going to see them again. It's less nerve wracking in front of other people because you were there and Jack was there. Like all of your classmates that you see every day. And my teachers were there and it was like, it was super nerve wracking because I knew all these people. The other humans were like, I don't know you. I get that you're siblings and parents and stuff, but I don't know you. So it was less nerve wracking. I can totally relate to that. For me, I think it's a bit of, oh, these people know me so they can call bullshit. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So at like a high school reunion, it's going to be like, yeah, remember that time we did that presentation? (laughs) Which, by the way, is probably never going to happen. But it's funny because your brain really does play tricks on you like that, where you tend to go to your worst case scenario. Yeah, exactly. I think that's actually a really powerful tool to use, though. In some cases, I'm not recommending this for everybody, hard stop across the board. But for me, sometimes it's actually really powerful to think of what my worst case scenario is and go all the way through that. And because I'm such an analytical person, I like to think of 
like, okay, what is the probability that that's actually going to happen? And then to take it a step further, I'll say, and we did this when you were doing your project. Remember, I was like, okay, because you were feeling a lot of nerves. It was the first time that you had done a presentation like that. And because you were teaching people how to do something and you were kind of freaking out a little bit. And I was like, okay, so what part scares you? What are you afraid is going to happen? Because that's ultimately what it is, is there's a fear there of what you think is going to happen. So for me, it's thinking all the way through the worst case scenario and then thinking about A, what is the probability that that's actually going to happen? And it's usually very low. And then B, what would I do if that did happen? Yeah. Right. So that was the exercise that you and I went through was like your worst case scenario. Well, do you want to say what it was? So I taught my class how to make white chocolate chip cookies. What was your worst case scenario that you were afraid was going to happen or that could happen? It's okay, baby. You can take your time. This is really good to talk about because these are things that everybody deals with. Do you want me to say what you told me? Yeah. Okay. So her worst case scenario in that situation was that I think it was two parts. She was afraid she was going to mess up and she was afraid that her classmates were going to make fun of her. And I think that I can't speak for anybody else, but I know that for me, that is a massive factor in anything that I'm going to do is that I'm worried that it's not going to land well and that people are going to make fun of me or they're going to think bad things about me. And I'm afraid that I'm going to mess up. So I think that that's super common. And then the exercise that we went through was, okay, so what happens if that happens, right? Which we, we decided that's probably not going to happen. And it didn't, by the way, it didn't, we yeah. can talk about that I in a second. rocked my freaking project. Yeah, you did. I mean, <laughs> and they love the cookies. Literally like eight people in my class walked up to me and were like, Hey, so I'm going to need that recipe. Yeah. I was like, I just taught you how to make them. Like, where were you? Hello. <laughs> So before that, though, we had to like get rid of some of the nerves. And part of how we did that was say like, okay, if that worst case scenario happens, then what? And you were like, I would probably cry. And then I would be embarrassed that I was crying. Right. And then I would cry more. more. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and then maybe they laugh at you more and maybe not. And maybe you're super embarrassed. And then what? And what we decided was you would come home and we would talk about it and we would work through it and we would feel the feelings and then cry even more, probably cry more (laughs) because it's us. And that's kind of our thing. But then you would go back to school and you would get through it. So I think that that's important for anybody to hear. And again, I'm not saying that in every situation where you're freaking out about something, you like dig in and cut open all of the wounds and throw salt in them. That's not what I'm saying. It can be really powerful to reframe things, not to bypass them or pretend that they're not hard or not have your feelings about them, but to reframe them in a way that feels safe for you yeah do you want to add anything to that bit or do you want to start no I think I think you hit all the spots I'm super excited about the questions though okay (laughs) I've only been told three of them and I'm already super freaking excited about it well I didn't even tell you all of the questions I just told you some of the topics around them I didn't actually tell you any of the specific questions except for the Roblox one okay come on so do you want to start with that one I or do you want to wait I want to I want to wait because I already kind of have an answer to it and it's like a really big answer so I'm gonna wait till I kind of want to wait till the end okay So Roblox is like, save the best for last. Yes. Okay. (laughs) This one actually came up several times. And 
you're not going to be surprised at all. Richard Akamu said, how did she become so cool? That's the first one. And then Emily LaPuri, why are you so cool? Serious question. So what I'm getting is my friends think you're the coolest. They're not wrong. People want to know why you're so cool. How did, how did you get to be so cool? Actually, I want to add on a second part of this because like, you know, you're cool. So I want to know first, I'm going to take a note out of Simon's playbook and say, it might be helpful here to have some definitions, right? You got to say it in his accent, Mama. You say it in his accent then. Disappointed in you. Okay, that was a little more British, but I'll take it. Okay, so definitions then. First of all, what in your mind, what does it mean to be cool? And then once we have that definition, then explain how that happens for you. I mean, when you're me. Okay. (laughs) No, I think the definition of cool is like, when you're cool, it's not like you show it off to everyone, in my opinion. In my opinion, the cool is like, you have pride and you're not showing it off. You have pride in what you do. You're not just like, ooh, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at me. You have pride and you keep your head down and get business done. You know what I'm saying? I love it. So, I mean, that that's just what it means to me. Can I tell you what I think makes you cool? Yeah. I think what makes you so cool is that you are just who you are and you don't really question that ever and you shouldn't. And you just, you're really kind to other humans, except Jack. You are a very kind, compassionate, caring human. And you, from the time that you were like four years old, I remember maybe even earlier than that, honestly, you've always been the person to seek out the misfit and the underdogs and the kids who are having a tough time or who are getting picked on or who are struggling in school or are feeling embarrassed or who are having a tough time at home, whatever the case is, you always latch on to those people and you do everything that you can to make them feel special. And I think that is so brilliant because most kids don't even, like that doesn't even occur to them. And I don't think it's even a conscious thing for you. It's just how you show up in the world, which makes it that much cooler. And you have a unique sense of style. You don't really, I don't want to say it's not intentional because it is, but it's like the things that you choose to wear don't fit in with what I remember as an 11 year old. Like I would have been afraid to just dress how I wanted to dress when I was 11 because I was so worried about what other people thought about me. And I think there's a level of you caring about what people think of you, but it's mostly like, I'm going to do what I want to do and be who I am anyway. Yeah. You're just me. Yeah. You're just you and you don't make apologies for that. If I could describe your vibe, it's just like chill. Your mom vibe too. You do. Everybody has a vibe, but you're just like, you're just chill. You're not like oh shoot, they're going to look at me like this. Yeah. It's like, you just don't seem like you try hard is what I'm saying. Like, I know that that's probably not entirely true and you do try because all of us do, but it definitely doesn't come across that way. It just seems easy for you. You're just cool and everybody likes you and you're like popular kid. You are a popular kid, but you're not a dick. Yeah. And that's like, I think that's kind of what you were saying before is like, for me growing up, I was kind of a dork. Now I know where I get it from. Cool. I wasn't very popular and the popular kids a lot of times were mean. 
Yeah. And you're popular and you're not mean. You actually are like exactly the opposite. I almost imagine that you're like, you're like Robin Hood. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) So anyway, so that's what I, that's part of, obviously I'm extremely biased because I think you're one of the best humans, but that's what I think makes you so cool. So all of that said, what made you that way? Why is it a conscious effort? Do you actually just like roll out of bed and just exist this way or? Uh, well, since you said when I was four, I started doing it. When I turned four, I rolled out of bed and was like, you know okay. what? I'm going to change this now. All right. No. <laughs> I don't know because honestly it's not really a conscious effort it's like I want to wear this and wear this and that's I just do I don't care if people don't like what I wear well but it's not just about what you wear though I guess the answer to the question is you don't really know how to answer it because you're not trying to be cool yeah I think that's what makes people cool is like that they're not trying to be cool. Exactly. The the pride that goes into not trying to be cool is on a whole another level. Okay, I really love this question. This is from Kaylee Casey. Okay. I'm going to read the whole comment. Her actual question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And then she said, (laughs) feel free to soapbox on why that's a crappy question. I would just love to hear more about some of G's interests and passions. And just quickly, I don't think that's a crappy question. I think that's a great question. I think it's a great question because I love what I'm going to be when I grow up. Me too. And hold on. There's another part of this too, though. The other reason that I really love it is because the chances of, and here's the thing, I support you no matter what like when people hear what you want to be when you grow up they're going to be like she's so fucking dope and (laughs) things change right so it's like I'm going to support you as long as that's the thing that you want to do and if you change your mind I'm going to support that also so I think it's a great question because it's like we're going to have evidence of this conversation right so if you are 21 and you decide to go a different path we have this conversation to go back to to be like hey remember when I wanted to do this yeah Okay, so I want to be an astrophysicist. Yeah, so I want to be an astronaut. You're getting a little bit emotional about that. Yeah. What Do you want to talk about why that's such a like... Because I wanted to do it since I was like four. Yeah. Really mm-hmm. important to me. Yeah, and you're really passionate about it and excited about it. And what's the thing that I say all the time about finding the things that you love and that you're passionate about and latching onto that because... It's not just here for the quarry and stuff. Yeah, because there are going to be times where shit gets really hard. Okay, so football. This has been a really tough season for her. This is her third season. Historically, the teams that she's been on have done really well. And Greenlee, as an individual player, has improved so much. She shouldn't have been able to improve as much as she has in the short amount of time that she's been playing because the seasons are very short. So she's been playing for just over a year at this point. And the growth has been just phenomenal. Yeah. And this season has been really tough. Mm-hmm. For the team, you guys are currently winless, which has not yeah. happened before. And it was funny because dad and I both gave you the same pep talk separately without knowing that the yeah. other one had already said the thing. But it was basically like, this is why you need to love what you're doing. Yeah. Because we've told you we're going to support you playing football as long as you still love it. Yeah. Right. Because there are going to be times like right now where it's really hard. And the thing that keeps you going is your love of the sport, is yeah. the love of the game. It's the love of the the teamwork and the camaraderie and the energy. 
One of the reasons I love football so much is, like I said, the game day. I think game day is super energizing, and so is football. It's like when you catch the pass, you keep going until your flag gets pulled, or you keep going until you get tackled. I play flag, so that's why I said flag, but it's... Yeah, they're not supposed to tackle, but sometimes they do. Uh, I feel like they always go hard for you, too, because you're one of the smaller... Yeah, it's they think you're an easy target, and then they get you on defense. <laughs> but, then, but then they get dust and like, oh, shit. That's one of the cool aspects that we've talked about, though, is that, like, you're one of those surprising players because yeah. you're small and because you're a girl. You're one of the only girls in the entire league. And this year is actually weird because there's three girls on our team, and that there's, never happens. There's three girls on our team, and on the Rams, they have a girl quarterback, which oh, is that's really cool. I watched their game against the Titans. That's really cool. But that was another thing that we talked about too, because originally you were like, oh, I want to be the quarterback. Yeah. And then the more that we talked about it, we're like, do you even like that position? Or is it just that everybody looks at that position and that's the one that gets the glory most of the time? No, it's, I like being quarterback because it's like, I like throwing. I like, I like catching as well. Quarterback and wide receiver, my two favorite, favorite ones. I play center currently and it's center is a very important part, but so is the quarterback and so is the wide receiver. Well, they're all important parts. That's the thing though. And that's kind of what we talked about is that like yesterday after the game, you were really upset. And I was like, but baby, you played exceptionally well because you did. You had a great game yesterday. And you were like, if I had played well, then we would have won. And what what did I tell you? It's the whole team. It's not just Greenlee. Yeah. It takes more than one person to win a game. Yeah. So you can still play really well and lose the game, right? Because it takes the whole team and there are other factors, right? The other team played really well yesterday. Yeah. There were some catches there that were like Cade insane. Literally, I think it was it was probably the second, and they didn't get any yards on the first play. So the second play, some kid went crazy wide all the way at the end, and the quarterback could really throw. So he threw all the way down to the end zone. And on the second, the second down, he scored a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, it, that was the entire length of the field, yeah, essentially. So that crazy. was a crazy catch. So yeah. it was an awesome, good play. And so what I'm saying there is it wasn't just based on the performance of you or even the performance of the entire team. The other team played really well. Yeah. All of those are factors. So going back to what you want to do when you grow up, yeah. you want to be an astrophysicist. You want to be an astronaut. Yes. So why is that so important to you besides aliens? Okay. <laughs> Curiosity. Boom. Oh, love that. (laughs) So I want to go to Mars. I want to be the first woman on the Mars. I want to be the first. The Mars. I'm going to go to Guinness World Records and get it. And it's going to say first woman on the Mars in all caps. But it's actually just like you stepped on a candy bar. For real. (laughs) (laughs) The Mars. The Mars bar. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. It's just like curiosity drives me. I want to go to Mars and see what's on there. I want to find aliens. I want to find Buzz Lightyear on there and stuff. (laughs) And I mean, it's fun to just like dream about that stuff because it's curiosity. Yeah. Like there's just so much that we don't know. Because only, did you know that only 2% of the ocean is discovered? Yeah. I just made you fear the ocean. Boom. Yeah. That's a whole thing for me. So I think that's one of the most fascinating things about space to me is like, if you think about it in terms of what we, 
think we understand. Okay, so here, I'm going to map this out for you. Okay, so you think the universe is huge, right? So the universe is not even a speck of what's there. Are you, do you mean the galaxy? No. Is just the speck? Just, just the universe. Well, the universe is the whole thing. Our universe is just not even a speck. I think galaxy is what you're looking for. Galaxy, yeah. That makes a little bit more sense because it's even like we can't even fathom the galaxy. And to put it into perspective, it's like the things that we think that we understand are like the earth and the ocean. Mm -hmm. And you were just saying that we've only even discovered 2% of the ocean. And that's unfathomable. Do you know what I mean? And so it's like if there is this entity on the planet that we live on Mm -hmm. that is so vast and so deep and so wide and we haven't even scratched the surface of it and that's just on this planet yeah and then the what's outside of that what's in space is like we're we're inside of that yeah mind-blowing yes yes space is terrifying to me because I love space it's wild it's wild. It's wild. It's, one of, I think one of the coolest things that we've ever done is look at that chart. Do you remember? It was like a moving chart where it was like, it showed earth and then like earth just kept getting smaller and smaller. And oh, it was like showing yeah. the moon and then the planets all in comparison to each other. Universes. And then the sun and then like going up from there. It's crazy because it's like, you look at these models of the solar systems when you're in school, you make solar systems and you try to make them to scale. Yeah. But because it's so small, what you're looking at in front of you, you can't quite comprehend yeah. it. But and then when you start thinking about yeah. how much bigger things are, when when the thing that you're thinking about is Earth and the Earth is so massive, mm-hmm. then you think. It, well, in comparison, it's not. But what I'm saying is from our perspective, right, the mm-hmm. Earth is massive. Yeah. There's 8 billion humans on this planet. You're one human. 1 billion is a number that most people can't even comprehend. Mm-hmm. Okay. A million, some people can sort of comprehend that, but then like the more that you expand out of that, and if there's that many humans and you're just one human, there's 8 billion humans on this one planet. And this planet is tiny in comparison to just the Milky Way galaxy, right? So how many other hundreds of millions of galaxies are there out there? Like it's fucking wild. But okay. So what you said got me thinking and- So a thousand Earths can fit inside of one sun. So what if a thousand suns can fit into this planet? We don't even know. Another thing that we don't know. For real. Yeah. And then I fear the ocean more than I fear space. Which is wild to me because it's like the uh, the ocean is terrifying. Don't get me wrong. And that's a thing that is contained. We can zoom out and via satellite, we can see that entire thing. Looking outward at the universe, there's no containment. You can't stop looking at it. There's no end and no beginning. (laughs) So that's what Greenland wants to be. Going to college for eight years. Yeah, I mean, and she's actually, there's a whole path that she started looking at. She wants to go to MIT, which I'm like, okay, that might change and that's fine. That's not the only path. And I recognize that that's the one that people most commonly think of is like, oh, you're going to be an astronaut. You got to go to MIT. It's apparent in your interests and the things that you seek out in school, right? Because I think a lot of kids have this starry-eyed vision for what they want to be, but they don't have any real interest in what that entails. Yeah. And so for you, it's like, you know, to start with when you're like, oh, I want to be an astronaut. I'm like, okay, cool guy. Like everybody wants to be an astronaut. It's actually come up in all of your interests. You're really super interested in science and math. 
you kind of need that to go to space. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying is, is not only are you willing to go the distance and do the things that you need to do in order to achieve that goal, but you also actually enjoy what that entails. You're super into robotics and science and math and all of these things that are going to come into play later in order to get you to that path. And that's the other piece of it is, again, if you're not so amped up about it and so passionate about it and so excited about it, eventually you're going to get to a point, maybe it's when you get to college and it gets really, really hard, right? Maybe it's even before that. But when it starts to get hard, that's when you've got to latch onto the piece of how much you love it and how excited you are about it. Since you brought up robotics, I, in STEM, we have this thing called Club Day. I joined the robotics club and I built a robot and now I am currently coding it. Which is so cool. Mm -hmm. That's another one of those things. And this was a question that I wanted to dig into for myself. This isn't one that somebody else asked. Something that I think is really cool is thinking about how different things are for you than they were for me growing up, the idea that you have the ability to learn coding as an 11 year old. And you actually, that's something that you've been interested in since you were like five or six. I think you and dad started looking into like apps and programs around coding when you were hella young. So the fact that you have that baseline and you've been able to expand into the physical form of that, right? Because when most people think of coding, they think of computers and websites. But for you, you're making a physical robot move with your code. Yeah, I can do that. And I've started creating a video game, sort of. I haven't started started, but I've planned a little bit and it's just cool because it's like you sit down and it's like, okay, press the start key Mm -hmm. and you do. And it's just like, it's this whole thing. You get to pick how it looks and you get to pick how it walks and it's cool. So next question is from Aqua Marine Kenzaki. So this one's really good. She actually asked two questions. So we're going to start with the second one. What is something that is on your top 10 list of important things to you so far in your life? Yeah. Football. Football is life. What's funny is it's a Ted Lasso reference, but you've never actually watched Ted Lasso. So that makes it even funnier (laughs) because you totally nailed it. (laughs) So her second question was, I'd like to know how you deal with feelings of frustration. And I'm going to ask, because I know you, that this be a two-part question. All right. So part one is, how do you actually usually deal with frustration when you're frustrated? And the second part is, if you could go back in every situation and deal with your frustration in the way that you wish you would have, what would that look like? I'm going to do the second part first. Okay. How you wish you would deal with frustration. Okay. Because it's like, you know, when you know you did something wrong because you're frustrated, I wish I could go back in some situations and be like, Hey, do this instead. Yeah. And it would change a lot of stuff. Okay. So let's run through a scenario where the, the area that I think that you get frustrated in more than any other area is in communicating with Jack. So let's okay. say it's a situation. Jack is her little brother. There's four year difference. So one of Greenlee's chores is doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. And Greenlee's pet peeve is when someone comes into the kitchen while she's doing the dishes. Yeah. 
let's say that Greenlee comes in, she starts doing the dishes, Jack comes into the kitchen to get a snack. How do you wish you would handle that situation? And how do you normally handle that situation? I normally handle it by yelling at him and telling him to get out and scream at him and push him. I wish that I would ask him calmly and not push him and not scream at him. What do you think is the key factor that, and it's okay if you don't know the answer, you can say that. What do you think is the key factor that's missing in that? Because I think it's actually two things and I'll tell you what my theory is in a second. But what do you think is missing that causes you to react the way that you normally do? My lack of patience. Okay. That's perfect. Actually. <laughs> I think it's two things and you're like, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the patience piece. Cause I think that a lot of times, and you get this, honestly, mom and dad are both very impatient as much as we practice patience regularly, we naturally are very impatient. And so I think for you, if you can pause just for a second and think about how you want to react, yeah. that makes a lot of difference. And then the second piece is trusting that when you do react in a calm way, that Jack is going to respond in the way that you expect him to or want him to. I think it's two parts. You often don't pause when you're frustrated and you also don't trust that Jack is going to respect you when you ask him to do something. Yeah. And the important piece here is knowing that just because you've asked somebody to do something, that doesn't mean that they have to do it. Yeah. But I think the expectation here is that if you pause and you say something calmly, then you're hoping and expecting that they'll oblige, right? So you're hoping that if you pause and you take a second and you say, hey, Jack, we've talked about this. You know that I don't like it when you're in the kitchen while I'm doing the dishes. Can you get your snack and scoot? (laughs) And then you're hoping that he's going to be like, yeah, sure, no problem. Get a snack and get the fuck out of the kitchen, right? (laughs) I think what has happened a lot of times is that you haven't gotten the result that you were looking for. Like maybe you have calmly said to Jack, Hey, can you get out of the kitchen? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't. Yeah. And then that just elevates the whole thing and exasperates it. And then you get more mad. Yeah. I think both of those things are important. It's like having the patience to slow down and react the right way. And the thing that we've talked about over and over again is again, you can't control other people. You can only control you. So how I like to see that play out is for you to have control over how you react to situations. Mm -hmm. And then if it doesn't go your way, that's when you get help from someone else. Like this is where you could come to me to mediate and be like, Hey, I've politely asked Jack to get out of the kitchen and he's refusing to do that. And we're not coming to an agreement. So can you mediate? And that's where I would come in and say, Hey, Jack, sissy politely asked you to get out of the kitchen. Yeah. And he would be like, yeah, (laughs) I'd be like, okay, so tell me why you're not doing that. And we get to have that conversation. All of that is to say that you're a kid and adults struggle with that. So if I, as an adult struggle with that, then it's sort of unrealistic for us to expect that you would get that right. hundred percent of the time. What I know from me and my clients and from people that I talk to all the time is in those moments where we're feeling activated, that's when we forget all of the tools that we have available for us. That's where we know the right thing to do. And we just forget. Yes, exactly. So that's what's happening a lot of times. And I think the greatest service we can offer ourselves, me, you, anybody, is to just pause, period. Don't do anything. Just pause and then let it come to you. That's That's a great question. I love that question.
If a, and this one's also from Richard Okamu. If all adults would take one piece of advice from you, what would it be? Jeez. Well, this isn't the question he was asking. Maybe this is a different question that I want to ask. What do you wish adults would remember about being a kid? How good they had it. Well, I think we're all very well aware of that. <laughs> So what I'm asking more is what is something that you experience as a kid that obviously everybody who was ever a kid experienced that as well, but as adults, we forget and we maybe don't take it as seriously because that's something that I think I try to be pretty cognizant of it, but I do see this come up with a lot of adults as they will almost invalidate the experience of their child. Like, oh, that's not that big of a deal or like suck it up or do you know what I mean? Like I try not to do that but do you know what I mean like a lot of times adults will make your experience feel less than what it is so do you have you might not have an example of that because like I'm a stellar mom but no (laughs) but no have you seen that come up or have you felt that way with us at all you can be honest like has there ever been a point where you're experiencing something and we've made you feel like it's not as big a deal as it is and you wish that we could remember what it was like to feel that not really, but I do, I do kind of have an example. So like, if you, if you, <laughs> yet. If, you if you break a bone or something, it's like, if your parent were to go, well, suck it up. It doesn't hurt that bad or something like that. that I would never do that, by the way. No, I'm not saying that your reaction hasn't been yet. I'm saying like me breaking a bone hasn't happened yet. Oh, okay. I, I gotcha. I mean, unless you can't like busting your tooth out. That's not. That is not a bone. I mean, your teeth are bones technically, right? Hey Siri, are teeth bones? Here's what I found from Socratic org. No, a tooth is not a bone. Cool. Thanks, Nine. Siri. I was right. You you were right. I was wrong. No, I think that's a great example, especially because I think this is a very cultural thing. We And maybe not. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's an American thing. Maybe it's a global thing. I don't know. But I know there's this kind of walk it off mentality, yeah. right? Of like, suck it up, buttercup. Like, it's yeah. not as bad as you think it is. And yeah. just, which I hate personally, because you can't possibly know what it feels like in somebody else's body. Okay, let's go back to Richard's question. Then. Um, what piece of advice would you give adults that you wish that they would all take? I don't really have an answer to this one because it's like I've never actually given someone advice so that's like a really hard you give people advice all the time homie especially according to your teachers and with football the first season they called you mini coach so you actually love giving your input and advice you just maybe don't see it as that yeah but like still it's like the only advice that I can think of, like you said with football, it's like cutting your route like this. It's like, like situational based, not exactly. broad. Here's yeah. advice that everyone should follow. Here's one, and this is probably terrible. So probably not. Stop and think about it. Like mm, you said, that's good. No, that's take good. that too. Stop and think about it because it's like if you are in a situation and it's like they give you this amount of time to answer the question. Like if you're, I'm gonna use Miss K for this. She had a sport option that she could go coach and she didn't take it because she had a boyfriend so I would be like stop and think about like what you're about to do pause and weigh your options and don't what I'm hearing and maybe I'm projecting a little bit is don't make decisions from an emotional place Mm -hmm. don't take emotion out of it completely but don't let it only be an emotional decision think about the pros and cons that you have yeah 
I always like to think too, and I'm, I'm not great at this. This is like an active process that I'm working through is like letting things air out a bit before I make a decision about them because I'm what is called an emotional projector. And so I, it's actually not the best thing for me to make decisions immediately. Because yeah, I, I have that too, don't I? Are you, you have the defined, whatever the defined center is that makes you emotional, but you're not an emotional authority. I actually don't remember what yours is. Ironically, you are a fun little mix of the major aspects of mine and dad's human design, yeah, you told which me is really that. cool. I just assumed that your human design was very similar to dad's Mm -hmm. because, you know, ever since you were little, you've always kind of clung to dad more than me and not in like the weird Southern, like daddy's girl way, because your relationship's not like that at all, but you've always gravitated more to dad. And it was interesting to see just how similar you and I were. The other funny thing is Greenlee is physically my clone. Minus the red hair. Yeah. So I don't have naturally red hair. I have naturally blonde hair and Greenlee has naturally red hair, which that doesn't come from David either. My mom and David's grandma both have red hair. So I think it comes from that. And then you also get your height. You might get taller, but maybe not (laughs) right right now. You're a little bit of a dinko, but that comes from the grandmas because both my mom and, and David's mom are very petite. But again, like you're only 11 and you haven't hit puberty quite yet. On the physical side, the emotional side. Through the roof, yeah. <laughs> We've got that covered. But what I was going to say is you've always physically favored me and Jack has always physically favored dad. And we've always joked, Jack is basically me in dad's body and your dad in my body. Yeah. Really within the last year, you've started to pick up a lot more of my traits as yeah. well. And that's been really cool to see. Like there have been a couple of times lately where you've said some really hilarious shit. And this is a thing that parents will relate to and you probably won't and I hope it doesn't hurt your feelings because I don't intend for it to but there are a lot of times as parents where your kids say some shit that they mean to be funny and you're like that's not very funny and you just kind of laugh anyway yeah just to kind of humor your kids but there have been some moments lately where you've said some shit that I'm like caught off guard by how funny (laughs) it is and I'm just like wow that was really witty and the timing was chef's kiss yeah and thank you that's been really cool to see that part of you develop a little bit and then we've been bonding a lot over music lately. It's so interesting too, because two of the bands that you really like now are two bands that you didn't really like before that are two of my favorite bands. There was a point in time where I was listening to Queen so much that you were like, can we not? (laughs) You were so annoyed by it. And now I I think for you, it was me pointing out the, as you started getting into the geniusness in Queen, it's just, wow. Well, I think it was like, as you're, I was like, this too it was as my understanding of how music is made started to develop I've started to appreciate different types of music more and I think that's what it has been for you is as you've gotten into audio engineering and like the creation of music and like watching Charlie Puth videos because he's a producer also genius just yeah so Charlie Puth is a fantastic artist like never mind about what you think of him as a person he's a fantastic artist but more than that he is an incredible producer Mm -hmm. yeah And he does these cool series on YouTube where he like breaks everything down. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? He he is one of my 
favorite artists ever. And I used to watch these videos where he literally kicked a door for a song. He turned on the song Light Switch. He turned on a light switch and that's one of his songs. And he made that out of a light switch. It is just amazing to me. Do you remember the process? Do you want to talk about like what that looked like? Because I remember you telling me about it and I can explain it if you forgot. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. I just know that it's genius. Okay, so basically what it was, was he heard a thing because one of them I think was like the squeaky door hinge so he had opened a door and the door hinge made a squeaking sound and he was like oh that sounds dope and so he went and recorded him opening the door and the hinge making the squeaking mm-hmm. sound and then he uploaded that audio into whatever engineering software that he was using and he changed some tones around or whatever and then he did some loops and I don't understand the entire process but basically he used that as an instrument. Yeah, he used the light switch or the doorknob hinge. What did you say? The door hinge. The door hinge. He used that as like some bass and then he added a beat to it and then he made a full on song, added the lyrics and then you have a Charlie Puth song. Yeah. Which I thought it was cool. And then he had a song, you know, the We Don't Talk Anymore by him featuring uh, Selena Gomez. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the original song. He had a whole nother one and it's like he played it and then he was like, yeah, so I messed around with beats and then changed it and he changed some of the lyrics and he's just a musical genius. Yeah, I think of it almost as like a science experiment. And I've I've said this to you time and time again. My brain works in a way that's like I can take something that already exists and I can like tweak it and fine tune it and make it better. But I can't just like take nothing yeah. and have a vision for it and like turn it into something. That's very difficult for me. So it always blows my mind when an artist can literally start from nothing and have a vision for what they want to turn it into to and then go through the process of seeing that come to fruition. That's wild to me. So I said all of that to say, I think that was the shift for you was seeing more of the behind the scenes of what it takes to make music happen. And once you had that knowledge, then when I started pointing things out to you and being Mm -hmm. like, Hey, listen to this. Mm -hmm. And like, here's what they had to do to make that happen. That's what became really interesting for you. And then also hearing covers of people's (laughs) songs, like the pentatonics cover of bohemian rhapsody wow it's just the the guitar which wasn't really a guitar he was going well and there's the like like, what that was your mouth (laughs) pentatonics literally sat down and they probably didn't do this but it was like they had to like sit down as a group and be like hey so can i do this and then the other person's like yeah but then then you do this and this and this and they're like oh okay and then and then they practice this and then they make a whole video on it Mm -hmm. and then they make a music video and then it blows up that whole process of like how did we get here yeah it's so cool it's it's mind-blowing when they do it so i don't even remember the question oh we we went so far off that (laughs) we're we're not even on a question anymore we just started talking about music so sullivan paris says okay so here's what she said and then i'll i'll ask it as a question She said, I just want to know if you're as awesome of a mom as I think you are. So I think the question she's asking is, do you think I'm an awesome mom? And this thread went on for a while because I told her Greenlee is such a kind, compassionate human that I think that she's going to try to pump me up and make me feel like I'm a good mom no matter what. So I was adamant in my comments that if you tried to be too nice to me, that I was going to suss out some of the shitty things too. So feel 
suss out because I'm not even gonna. Yep, you're you're just. <sighs> yep. <laughs> Let's ask the question this way. What are some of your favorite things about the way that I parent you and the way that dad parents you? And what are some things with each of us that you think that we could do better? You can't improve your sesame chicken. What's a really good chicken that I like? The Caesar chicken? You or can't, the poppy seed chicken? No, you can't improve the poppy seed chicken. You can't improve the Caesar chicken. So that's off the table. That's one of my favorite things about you. And then... Is that I can cook? <laughs> yes. Okay, good. And then you're... Oh, baby. You cry, then I'm going to cry. You're so compassionate. And I don't... I don't know why. Because when I... Even when I'm not compassionate to you, you just continue to push and push and push. Just so compassionate. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes. This is an ongoing uh, battle that we have. Literally, we do this game in the morning where I drop her off at school. And as she's slamming the door, she says, I love you more. And I say it right before the door closes so that I can win. I win every time. And if by some stretch of the imagination, I don't win, then I roll down the window because then she doesn't have any choice. But for that to be the last thing that she hears is I love you more. So I don't know. She thinks she loves me more because she doesn't know what it feels like. So there's that. Okay. What about dad? What is one of your favorite aspects of the way that dad parents you? Mm, The same thing, compassion. I don't want to say the same thing, but I kind of have to. I can think of that and I can't think of anything else. Yeah. But like, it's, it's, I mean, that's like a, that's a huge compliment. So if we're, if we're nailing that, I feel pretty good about that. One of my favorite things about how dad parents you is that he is very invested in spending quality time with you. Yeah. And he, he doesn't dictate what quality time looks like. You know He's what like, I mean? He, so what do you want to do? do right. You, yeah. So I think that that's like a, and it's tough. It's tough for you to know how to answer that. Cause it's like, you haven't ever had any other parents. Mom and dad have always been together since before you were born and I we've mean, never separated and you've never had other parents. So this is the only experience that you have. So you don't really have anything to compare it to. Yeah, but that's a thing that I can say that a lot of kids don't get that from their dad. That's one of my favorite things. I was telling somebody recently that I I think it's so cool that for dad he works really hard to provide for you guys, and then at the end of the day he still wants to hang out. Yeah, and he wants to. That's the whole thing. Is that it's like here's another thing I have to do. Exactly. That's literally what I was gonna say. Is that it's like it's not like a a burden or like something else that he has to do or he's like so exhausted but he's just like pulling from an empty tank it's like it actually energizing for him yeah it actually fills him up to come home at the end of the day and spend time with you guys in the way that you want there will be times where he's like I'm tired can we just play video games right (laughs) and still makes it a point to do that but most of the time it's like okay what do you want to do you know and he enjoys that do you want to do you want to throw football do you want to play video games on the raspberry Okay, so what are some things that we could do better? And be honest, you're not going to hurt my feelings. Okay. You might hurt dad's feelings. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I get yelly sometimes. That's so. valid. Can't improve that mac and cheese. Can't improve. Okay, well, it can be food related. Dang it. 
That's not fair. <laughs> Every recipe has a bad night. Okay. Even if you don't think it's a thing that I'm necessarily doing wrong, is there anything that you feel like I could do to be more supportive or more like- Not really. Parent? You're like very, very supportive. And like you said, I've never had anything else. Yeah. So, but no, you're super supportive and so is dad. Sullivan, I'm really trying here. I'm, I I told you I was going to put my best effort forward to get her to say something that she doesn't like about me. Okay. So this one, two different people asked this question. So the first person was Keisha Jordan. She's, you remember? Keisha! Yeah. I love you! Okay. Yeah. So Keisha's the, she was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago and Greenlee helped me edit the audio for that. Yep. And the whole time she was like, he's just so cool. And I was like, yeah, I know. Right. And then Sarah Decker also asked the question, what do you want to change about the world? Okay. Well, well, let me finish the question first. (laughs) All right. So Keisha Jordan said, I'd love to hear what changes she would like to see in the world. And Sarah Decker said, what do you want to change about the world? Could be anything tiny or huge. So, okay. Now go ahead. Racism. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So why is that important to you? And don't say because it's important to me. Because most of my friends in my class are black. So baby, it's okay. It's okay to feel emotional about things like this, because what we've talked about a lot over the years is like, I remember when you first started, you were probably like three or four learning about the concept of racism. You were like, what? Like, that doesn't even make any sense. You're like, I remember that being like one of the first things was like, how, like, what is, how does that make you feel? Or like, what are your thoughts about that? And you were like, it just doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's like we're all humans. Like, what's the point? And it's like most of my friends are black, and most of the kids in my class are black. So it's like if racism was like so bad, then I there would literally be eight of us in my classroom. Yeah, it hurts. So you're thinking of it from a very I don't empathetic's not the right word here, but I what I'm hearing from you is that it's like the idea that the people that you love and care about so much would be treated differently because of something that it's like you're doesn't like your your skin's not the same color and like so yeah it really doesn't make sense and that's the thing is that it's like for most people the reason let's go back this is going to get deep for a second most people aren't overtly racist right like most individuals at least don't think that they judge anyone by the color of their skin or that they treat them differently based on the color of their skin an example of overt racism would be like if somebody called somebody the n-word Mm -hmm. or told them that they weren't going to serve them or sell them something because of the color of their skin, right? Like, I don't, I don't owe you service because of your race. Like, I can refuse service to you because of who you are or what you do. Or like, this isn't racism, but it's like, if someone's gay, they're like, I can refuse so-and-so to you Mm -hmm. because you are gay and or you're black or 
Right. So those would be overt examples and you don't see as much of that. That's almost what makes it more dangerous is that, you know, for me, I want to know who I'm dealing with. I want to know if you hate women, I would like to know that out front so that I know not to trust you. If you're a pedophile, I want to know that out front so that I don't ever expose my children to you. Where racism in this country gets so tricky and scary and insidious is that it's not over right? It's built into our systems and those systems negatively affect everyone, whether they're the target or not. And I think that's the shift that we need to see in a lot of people is for you. What I can hear in your voice is you got very emotional when you started talking about your friends in your class. So to me, that shows that hurts you because you have compassion and because you love those humans and because you care about them. I don't think you see it as a them issue. I don't want to bet on you. That's very heavy. I think the shift that needs to happen is we can't look at it as a them issue. As white people, we can't be like, oh, that's a them issue. But we have to look at it as an us issue. We have to look at it as something that is damaging to all of us because the ways that it's damaging is you were talking about teams earlier and you were talking about pentatonics. Imagine if one of the members of that band was missing because what makes pentatonics so dope is all of the contributions. The diversity. Yeah. And if one piece of that was missing, the sound wouldn't be what it is. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? So it's like where racism is harmful is like, if you don't have the contribution of all of the people involved, then it's not going to be the same, right? It's not going to be as good as that could be. It's like playing football without the quarterback. Right. Exactly. That's a perfect example. It's like, if you don't have all of the pieces, then it's not as good as it could be. You're missing out on the full picture. You're missing out on how good a collaboration can be. One of the things that Simon and I talked about at the end of the last episode was this idea of, you know, everybody has their things that they're really excited about, that they're really good at, that they love doing. And, you know, the things that I love doing might not be the same as the things that you love doing. Yeah. So we need different people with different strengths and different childhoods and different socioeconomic statuses and different life experiences and different education levels and different passions and all of those things. And because if we can all be working together and everybody is hanging out in their zone of genius and doing the thing that lights them up, then nobody has to do the things that they don't want to do. So you know how you're doing it with Kate and then you said there was this other girl. So it you do the recording and Kate does... Oh, I know what you're talking about. Helps you with it. And then I haven't announced that project yet. So nobody's going to know what you're talking about. So there's, there's a future project coming up and it's essentially going to be a collaborative podcast project. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. I just wanted to give context because you're talking about a thing that I haven't talked about yet. So they wouldn't know what you're referencing. So she's talking about like, there's going to be a handful of people who will be speaking on the podcast and then there's going to be some people editing and there's going to be some people doing the marketing for it. So if you all work together, it's the best it can be. Mm. But if it's like, if it was just you and Kate, it would be like, well, then you have to do the editing, which I know you don't enjoy. And Kate has to do the recording and she probably likes doing the marketing, but they have. Oh no, Kate loves to talk. (laughs) No, but I hear what you're saying because that's, that's, 
exactly what it is. And a perfect example of this is that Kate and I actually have a project together called Spilled Milkshakes. And we've recorded probably a dozen episodes at this point, And we've released one of them because neither of us likes editing. So that's a great example of how if, if you're missing a piece, then the project isn't the best that it can be. Yeah. Like we have all of this solid gold content that we've recorded over the last year that nobody's ever heard. Because you don't want to edit. Right. So if you had that extra person, you and Kate would get to record and that person loves editing or computer science right. and stuff. And they're like, okay, gets it done in 30 minutes. And right. It's like here, this is this piece of artwork and you get to put this on here. And it's like this now because you have extra people who work together to do what they love. Yeah. So Greenlight gets it. Like what's everybody else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. You just explained that so well. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed creating it. Don't forget to tune in next week for part two of this series. If you have not already subscribed, I would love it if you would. And as always, feel free to share your thoughts with me on Facebook. The links to all my socials will be in the show notes. And hey, don't forget to be kind to yourself this week, okay?